Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. In the midst of his sleep, God comes to a young Samuel. He says, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel's response, speak for your servant hears. Jesus, out of concern for, uh, again, the attitude of her heart, comes and says, oh, Martha, Martha. So tied into so many things. Even as Jesus came that week into Jerusalem, he overlooked the city. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I would have as a mother had gathered you together, but you wouldn't have it. Many in our world would describe God as being a cruel, intolerant deity, sitting in judgment, clinging to archaic rules of the law and order. This is not who God is. He is a loving, compassionate Father. As Pastor David demonstrates in today's message, all throughout Scripture, throughout God's dealings with mankind, we see the way He speaks to His creation, calling to us, longing for us to hear His voice and draw closer to Him. His call is not a reprimand, but it's a call of a loving father to His wayward children. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Jesus Knows Our Every Weakness. I love what uh, Bernice Saunders, a saint who is now off, with, off in glory with the Lord now. She used to tell me all the time, God's word says that we're supposed to be fruity. <laughs> we're supposed to be fruity. And I said, what are you talking about? He says, we're supposed to bear much fruit. And that's, a, that's the truth. When we are abiding in him and he in us, that's when we bear fruit within our lives. If we don't see the fruit of the Spirit, again, growing in our lives, if we don't see the fruit of our life touching people around us, if we don't see the fruit of our lives even being manifested uh, even um, um, within ourselves, guess what? Maybe the problem is, is I'm not really tied into that vine as tight as I need to be. Maybe I'm allowing myself to be separated. But he says, as you abide in me, I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit because without me, beloved, you're not going to be able to do anything. And too often in life, we try and do things in our own flesh. Amen? You need to move on. You're never going to get through this message. Uh, chapter... Uh, uh, jump over to chapter 16. Speaking of the promise of the Comforter, of the Holy Spirit that's coming. He tells them, he says, and when he, when the Holy Spirit has come, 
He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus' promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit was also to equip and empower you and I as believers. He's doing a work in this world, but he also does work in those that love him, those that, again, have Christ in their life, the Holy Spirit abiding in our life and equipping and empowering our life. Look down in verse 33, chapter 16. These things I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace, or you may have peace. In the world you're gonna have tribulation. I love that. He doesn't soft soap it. He doesn't say, hey, you know, if you come to Jesus, your life's gonna be wonderful. If you come to Jesus, your life's gonna be a rose garden. Oh, but by the way, yeah, there's a lot of thorns in that rose garden. There's a lot of weeds that are going to come up. He says, in this world, you're going to have a lot of tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Why is that good news to us? It's because he's the one that we're depending upon. I'm not depending upon my own strength. You can't depend upon your own strength to make it through the affairs and the situations of this world. You've got to depend upon his strength, the fact that he has gone before us, and now we wait and we trust in him. Then beginning in chapter 17 of John's gospel, Jesus begins praying to the Father. It says he lifts up his eyes to heaven. Look at chapter 17, verse 4. He prays to the Father. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is saying, I have finished the work. He is, in that very declaration, he is making certain that we understand that his life was not taken from him. He had completed the work the Father had given to him, and now he is ready to go back to the Father. All these other events that are going to happen over these next few hours already had been planned, already had been determined by that master plan of God. And tell me, are there some times that the plan of God working in your life you don't understand? Stuff that goes on, man, I just have no clue why I'm going through this, why we're going through this, why they're going through this, why we go through this. Yet at the same time, beloved, we need to understand God is working a much greater purpose out than you. I need to say that again because I didn't get any amens at all. (laughs) God is working a much greater purpose and plan out than you. You and I get to be the recipients of the blessing of God. But beloved, you need to understand his plan is so much greater. That's why we don't understand it. Oh, his love for us is individual. It's one by one by one we come to him. We are his child individually, but he is working a plan. Yes, it does include us, but it's much greater than us. And that's why we trust him even when we don't understand what's going on. Down in verse 9 of chapter 17, Jesus says, I pray for them, speaking of the disciples. I don't pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love the world. What he's saying is right now, I am praying for these that do love me, these who are mine. He prays for you and I as his children. The understanding is, is yes, he died for the world in order that 
as many as receive him, to them they become the children of God. That's what his prayer is here. Down in verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because, you're not, uh, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now that really bums me out because I wish he would have prayed that he'd just take me out of the world. And when I came to him, I said, good, done deal, take me on to you. But that's not the plan and purpose of God. That's why it's much bigger than just me. And you and I are here, we're still sucking air, we're still taking up space because God still has a purpose for us. And he left the disciples, he said, Matt, don't take them out of this world, but take the world out of them, that they would not be controlled, driven, persuaded by the things of this world, but only by your spirit. That's what Jesus' prayer is for his disciples then and for you and I today. The fullness of the heart of Jesus being poured out as he taught these things to the disciples, as he prayed these things to the Father, all of that's found in John's gospel. All of that taking place in the upper room prior to going over to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane and his arrest. Now, Although Luke's gospel account, we do read a very shortened version of the dialogue between Simon, Peter, and the Lord Jesus near the end of that upper room time. Matthew and Mark give us an extended version. I want to look at that real quick. Look over in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew and Mark are pretty much exactly the same at this point in time. So let's just look at Matthew 26 real quick. So in order that you might have the fullness, if we look just at Luke, it jumps from Jesus telling telling them, hey, you know, I have a kingdom. You're going to come with me on my kingdom. You're going to eat and drink at my table. You're going to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it goes right into, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked you that you might be sifted as wheat. Well, what else has gone on in that process? Matthew and Mark let us know. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, All of you, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you in Galilee. By the way, catch that, guys. After I've been raised, I'm not going to stay dead forever. After I've been raised, I'm going to go before you in Galilee. Don't hang around in Jerusalem. You're going to be scattered and just start heading up to Galilee. What, What did they do? They locked themselves in a, in a room in Jerusalem. It's not where they were supposed to be. But Peter answers here in verse 33, still Matthew 26. Peter answered and said, even if all of these guys are made to stumble because of you, I'll never be made to stumble. Okay, Peter. Jesus just said all of you are going to be made to stumble. And now you're coming and saying, nope, not you. And so Jesus turns to him, verse 34 says, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, wow, okay. Sorry, I misunderstood. (laughs) No, that's not. No, Peter says to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the other uh, 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 disciples jumped in and said the same thing. Once again, Jesus is foretelling 
all of these events that were about to happen, and suddenly the student jumps up and begins to rebuke the teacher. That's a difficult position for us to be in, where we're jumping up and we're rebuking the teacher. It's here where we see that that boldness, uh, almost that brashness, even this boastfulness of, of Peter and all the other apostles. Not only had the Lord told them that they were going to be scattered, but even focusing on Peter himself, and Peter still doesn't get it. Let me ask you, church, could it be spiritual pride or possibly just too much confidence in the flesh? Aren't you glad that we don't have those maladies within the church today? you glad that we don't jump up in spiritual pride? Hey, yeah, let's do it. Or try to work things in our own flesh and miserably fail. We see it all the time, don't we? And I know my boat is bigger than just a one-man kayak. I got a massive cruise ship on this one because we're all together in this. We'll get to thinking, man, I'm walking right with the Lord. Man, I'm on fire for the Lord. And man, we're stepping up, and all of a sudden, pride starts kicking in. Or we'll see a need that needs to take place, and rather than praying and seeking the Lord, we step out and we try to do it in our own flesh. Now, with all of that available, the, the, the passages from John and from Matthew, now let's get to the message this morning. <laughs> Luke 22, Luke chapter 22. And if the introduction is that long, woe be to you for the length of the message, right? In Luke 22, there in verse 31, we get to the passage, that portion of the passage, that portion of that night there in the upper room where the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I want to stop right there, just those couple of verses. There's so much within those two verses that we can't rush through those. We can't just state those and move on. First thing I want you to understand is how Jesus addresses Peter. He addresses him not as Peter, but by his old name, by Simon. Remember back when Peter made that great and powerful confession of faith? He finally, it seemed like Peter was finally connecting all the dots, and he realized, he made that statement. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Oh, you're this, you're this. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter that says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded to Peter that day. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood is not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And also I say to you, we're going to change your name. You're no longer Simon. We're going to name you Rocky. That's what Peter means. That's what the name means. He says, we're going to name you Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So when here in the upper room, when Jesus turns to him, he calls him Simon. In essence, I believe what he's saying is, Peter, you're moving back into your Simon mode. Not being led by the things of the Spirit. You're back to the deeds of the flesh. And you need to be careful, Simon, because you're already in it. 
Secondly, we see that he didn't just call him Simon. He called him Simon Simon, okay? Now, it's not like when I was a kid and when I'd get in trouble, and I know that's hard for you to believe, but there were a couple of times. My dad would call me by multiple names, okay? And some of them I can repeat to you this morning. No, it's not that way. What we find out is when the, the biblically, when we see names being repeated, it's usually God getting our attention, and most often it is simply a declaring of that depth of his love and his concern, and he repeats the names. Look at these just for a moment. Remember, they're from the burning bush, and Moses is there, and out of the burning bush, God calls. He says, Moses, Moses. Moses declares, here I am. In the midst of his sleep, God comes to a young Samuel. says, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel's response, speak for your servant hears. Jesus, out of concern for, uh, again, the attitude of her heart, comes and says, oh, Martha, Martha. So tied into so many things. Even as Jesus came that week into Jerusalem, he overlooked the city. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I would have as a mother hen gathered you together, but you wouldn't have it. Later on the road to Damascus, we read in the book of Acts, as again, Saul of Tarsus is going up to, again, bring persecution on the Christians in Damascus. And the light of God shines. Saul of Tarsus off of his high horse. Saul, who later becomes Paul. And the words that the Lord speaks to Saul while he's laying on the ground, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I used to think that that was a, uh, uh, almost a, uh, a condemnation kind of thing, kind of getting your attention, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I don't think that's it at all anymore. I've come to realize, no, this is the compassion of Christ for Saul. Oh, Saul. Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? You see, that's the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus that he shared even that night when he comes to Simon Peter, and he says, oh, Simon, Simon. Third and quickly, he says that, uh, and this one ought to jump out at all of us, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, beloved, that's intense. Satan had a design and a plan specifically for Peter. He desired to put Peter under that extreme pressure, that testing, just like the sifting of wheat. And again, through that whole process of wheat, everything from winnowing and breaking off that outer shell to the grinding, making wheat prepared for using it for bread. Again, all that that would go to. That's what Satan wants to do to you, Peter. But I want to give you a flash this morning, church. That's exactly what Satan is desiring to do to each one of us. Because of your testimony for Christ. And when you have a strong testimony for Christ, and when you are serious in your walk for the Savior, Satan will desire to sift you like wheat. The other thing that you need to catch here, Satan had to ask. Satan had to ask permission. Reminds you of a guy by the name of Job. But you know what? Who brought Job's name up? It wasn't Satan. It was God. Whoa. God told Satan, have you considered my servant Job? 
But you see, Satan couldn't touch him until God allowed that. And in the same way, God oversees, covers, and protects our lives, not allowing any more authority of Satan in our lives than what he will have control over. God the Father allows it to happen, but only under his direction and control. That's why we read verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I know that my God is faithful who will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I am able, but with that temptation will also make a way of escape that I might be able to bear it. Yeah, you can have him, Satan. You can work on him but we're going to keep this escape hatch open over here. You can't cover that. We're going to leave this open for him. And as she goes through this battle in her life and the temptations that you're going to throw at her, Satan, no, we're going to leave this back door open so that she's going to be able to look around and say, you know what, I don't have to stay under this temptation. There is a way of escape from this. And for Peter, it was the same way, and we'll get into that more as we get into the events that are going to follow uh, in another study. Don't worry, we're not going to be here that long. Okay. But in the midst of all this, getting back to the passage here, Jesus says, but Peter, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. He knows, Jesus knows the power of the enemy. He also knows the weakness of our flesh. And he is interceding on our behalf. Romans 8.34 says, It is Christ who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. You want to know that you have a prayer warrior on your side? Jesus is a prayer warrior, and he's on your side. He's ever interceding on your behalf. And that's the promise that we have according to God's word. Lastly, we read uh, Jesus' words to Peter. When you have returned. When you have returned. Did you catch that, church? When you have returned. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fall. He was going to fail miserably. But he also knew that Peter was going to bounce back. He was going to come back. He was going to repent. He was going to be reconciled. And he says, and when you return, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew Peter's weakness. Jesus knew Peter was going to fail. Jesus also knew that Peter was going to be broken down to the point of repentance. And he gave Peter, just as he gives you and I, the knowledge that he would still be usable within the kingdom even though you've failed. That you and I can still be usable in God's kingdom even when we fail. If we are willing to repent and turn back. Oh, the brashness of Peter in verse 33. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then Jesus tells him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster is, uh, shall not crow this day before you've denied me three times that you know me. We'll get into that in a later study. Right now, just let me share this with you. It was back in 1855. Joseph Scriven wrote these words to the hymn that he was composing. The simple phrase here kept running over my mind this week as I've looked at this passage. Jesus knows our every weakness. Jesus knows our every weakness. Many of you probably know the song. It speaks about the fact that our lives and our actions never take God by surprise. 
That's why we need to run into his presence even when we fail. That's why I've shared with you over and over as a congregation, when you fall, fall forward. You're not taking God by surprise. Fall forward into his arms. I did it, Lord. I, I Forgive me. I repent. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.